Good morning, City Life. Good morning, City Lifers, visitors, all of you. Thank you for being here. We're grateful that you're here where we get to worship Jesus. Another week, another week of doing this, another week of pursuing Him, of journeying together. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese, and I am the lead pastor here at City Life. It is, like always, my privilege to bring us the Word this week. Today is a fun, interesting day because it is the last Sunday in our sermon series on sexuality. Of this series, plainly named Sexuality, Know and Be Known, has explored, has looked into how God has envisioned all of this life for us to be sexual beings. At the base foundation, I, I highly encourage you to listen to the rest. Today's the last day, but uh, the, our base definition of sexuality is that God has made us to desire to know and be known by other people. And we've explored what that has meant, and we've explored what Scripture has said. We've explored the prohibition and also the blessing, the, the beauty and the brokenness and the sin of sexuality. That sin has touched sec- our, the part of us that is sexual, like it has touched every other part. And so we have one more big idea, one last big idea in this series. And, and this is what it is. This is what we're like truly looking at today. It's that all of us carry sexual brokenness and baggage, but God brings healing. All of us carry sexual brokenness and baggage, but God brings healing. And so in the sermon series, we've explored a lot of what it means in this big topic, in this big umbrella of a topic. Our first... This has been our first like, major attempt at answering some profound questions on sexuality as a church. First time City Life has really spent like, a concentrated amount of time to look into this. And this whole sermon series, I pray, has been a couple of things. One, that it's been this worldview-building, disciple-making effort to help us build a better, more robust ethic on sexuality one that is open and honest by look, with looking at Scripture. What does Scripture say? Returning to Scripture, because Scripture, like every other part of our faith, determines who we are and what we should look at, like. Scripture forms us in every aspect of life. And so it's been this open and honest look at Scripture and also the world that we live in. And also the world in 2022 that we find ourselves, the climate, the topics, that this is important, that this is an important and really intimate topic to address. The all of theology needs to be lived in. Right? None of theology is made in a room separated by people. But we take the word and we never betray that word, but we, we build a theology that fits this better worldview. We've tried, we've called us to expand and to reassess our understanding, our perspectives, and our definitions on the topic. We've like equally tried to say what in our understanding of this is fear-driven, what do we need to change, what we need to grow up in, what do we need to like expel fear out of how we view and behave in this topic, while also equally looking at the question, but also what cannot change, what needs to remain the same. Like, what in this evolving world like, do we like, need to hold on to? What does Scripture not have any movement in? What do we need to hold on in this area? We've answered both those questions. And today we turn our attention to try and look at, okay, like, well, in all of this big topic that's sensitive and intimate and 
compassionate? Where does God meet us with healing? How does God bring us healing? We are all touched and we all carry sexual brokenness, woundings, baggage. How can God bring us healing in this area? Uh, if you've been with us in the sermon series, you've heard me quote Deborah Hirsch a lot in her book, Redeeming Sex. Outside of scripture and, and a few other books, that's like had been one of the guiding uh, books and contexts that I've used and brought up many times here. I, I really love Deborah Hirsch's, um, the way she shapes and helps us to build perspective on this issue. And she, in one of her chapters, is talking about like the real-life consequences and effects of brokenness and sexuality. She looks and she has this one comment that I really, really love, and it's like also at the heart of today's sermon that I use to shape, like, oh, like what are we going to address here today? And she says this, it's subtle and it's short, and if you blink, you might miss that it's like really profound and carries a big punch. But she says this, she says, God is a redeemer, not an eraser. Like often in talking about sexuality and in today, like in brokenness, trying to take an honest look at our brokenness, that we are all broken in some way or we all have like heavy weights attached to this, that we've all been hurt by others or by ourselves. I wish at times, I ultimately don't, but at times I'm tempted to be like, man, like, like God, can you like just give us this like formula or this incantation to like just may erase everything? Make everything okay. Not have to struggle with building a new world view of like really redefining all these things. Like, Lord, can you help us to just forget what has been done to us, what we've done to ourselves, what others have done to us? Can we forget like all the unwanted sexual advances? Can we forget, for some of us, sadly, tragically, like, can we forget the abuse that was done to us? Can we forget what happened to our, loves, our loved ones? Can we forget all of these things? But like, I wish that I had some ability at times to be like, it's all going to go away. I wish at times that I could stand up here and say like, you know, I just like love Jesus and overnight everything will be made okay. Everything will be made new, right? That's God's promise, right? But it's like, it doesn't happen overnight. God's not an eraser. He's a redeemer. And so today, like I want us to give time and credit and space to starting a journey with the Lord to be like, Lord, I'm bringing all of this part of my sexual woundedness, everything I've done and has been done to me, I'm bringing it to you and, and I need your healing. I need repentance. I need your healing touch. I need to know that it's not like, I don't have to be like this all the time. I don't have to be stuck in my cycles all the time. Like, I don't, I can hope for more. With you, I can achieve more. And so today is like trying to honor the fact that God is a redeemer and not an eraser. That when we have a real relationship with him and come to him over and over again, over the span of our lives, we find healing and redemption. So all of us carry sexual brokenness and baggage, but God is the one who brings us healing. This is what we're going to look at to close this sermon series. Like, Lord, bring us healing. We need your healing touch. And so to start this off, we're going to read from a context that kind of like doesn't seem like it's applicable at first, but it really is quite lovely. We're going to look at Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 18 to 23. This is the word of the Lord, and then we'll pray. It says this, And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, Then are you also without understanding? 
Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Lord, um, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I just ask for you to be in the preaching of your word, in the receiving of your word, and then like the implementing of your word. Lord, we are broken. All aspects of us are broken. All of us fall short of your glory. I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would help us to understand what it is to be pursuing healing with you of how to begin that journey and then how to be in that journey for the rest of our days. Lord, please meet us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Uh, speak to us in all of our wounding when it comes to sexuality and help us to know if we're trapped. We love you. We give you all things. We follow you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start digesting this by talking about from within. This passage might seem a little out of place at first, the direct context of what Jesus is talking about here is Mark chapter 7, and he's having this real honest, real blunt conversation with the Pharisees. Like Jesus is always challenging the Pharisees. He's always calling them out, but like Mark chapter 7 is like a really blunt one, is a really honest one. He's like not holding back from them too much. And the context is this. He's pretty much saying to them, it's like your hearts are nowhere near God. Like let's just get that straight. Let's get that out in the open. Your hearts, like have never been close to God. They're talking about God's commandments. He's saying that they have left God's commandments so like so long ago and they only care about their traditions. Of months ago we talked about the Pharisees' fundamental problem that they treated God's commandment, God's word, the Old Testament, God himself, they treated him and they like thought they were being so reverent and holy by taking what he said, his commandment, his scripture, everything, and building around it. They're like, oh, this is so sacred, and so we need to protect it. And they built walls around it, and they built fences around it. They added to it tradition over time. They felt like, oh, if it tells us to do this, let's also add this so we don't even approach doing it wrong. And they kept on building these fences around God's word and his commandment and God himself to the point where one day they like realized, whoa, like, okay, we're so far from him. We've built so many fences, we can't actually get to him anymore. Like, I have no idea where he is. And Jesus is calling them out for this. Like, you, you care more about your own traditions than you do God. Like, your hearts are far from him. You don't actually know where he is. You don't know what's important to him. And here they're talking about eating. Because eating was like, is this special part of God's people's identity, right? And when he formed them, he gave them special codes on eating and what they should eat and how they should eat. And all that was supposed to be this outward sign of how different it is to look like God's people. Like one outward sign of how they lived that was distinctive from everyone around them to like, shoot, like life with God is different. 
And it wasn't that it made them holy. Nothing that we do ever makes us holy. But there's like these rules around cleanliness that God gave them. But I, I like, because we're human and because we do this with almost anything, we build around it and it became this spectacle to show that like had nothing to do with the Lord or with our hearts. None of this activity show, like spoke to their hearts anymore. It was all about, hey, follow the rules or else you're not in anymore. And Jesus like you like you don't know what you're doing. This is like far from the Lord. Like every pious thing that you did, it's not to like honor God. It's to show everyone else that you're so special. And Jesus is giving them this word, and he's like, your brokenness has nothing to do with what you do or what you eat. Like it's already inside of you. And he says this to them, like right before where we read, he says, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. He's like, you like, you like really can understand, guys, right? That like what you eat doesn't make you clean or unclean. It comes in your mouth, it goes in your stomach, and we all know how it comes out. And at no point does that enter the heart. Because right? in the Jewish worldview, the heart is the center of the being. It's like where you truly are, your most honest self, your most vulnerable self. Like every lie stripped away, what you really think is in your heart. It's like, yeah, you know, right, that nothing that you put in your mouth that goes into your stomach touches your heart. And he's like, okay, like, let's not get this twisted. Your brokenness, your hurt, your wounding, your sadness, everything that you carry, it's not external. It's not flying at you from other people, from all these other things. It's already in your heart. You, you know that, right? Like your, your brokenness, that you're hurting, that you're sad, that you're lonely, that you're angry, that you're aggressive, that you're anxious. All these things, your sexuality and everything that's broken and wounded and heavy. It's like it's not external. It's in your heart. It's already there. Like, it's already inside of you. It's like, let's not think that, like, when you're driving in the road here in Jersey City and someone does anything to you and you curse them out, you give them the finger, you get really angry at them, you yell, you just, like, are seething, right? That's, like, that has almost nothing to do with the person. It's coming out of you. Or it's like, oh, when you yell at your spouse or your kids because you're frustrated and you're angry, it's like, oh, that's not like, that's not life. That's what's coming out of your heart coming out. It's what's happening, the circumstance is just an avenue for it to truly come out. And like when you explode at someone at work or something like that, it's like, oh, like it was in there. And for that split second, you couldn't control it anymore. And it came out. It's already here. It's not external. It's internal. It's what you already have. And Jesus is like teaching them this and he's showing them this. I mean, they, I believe we can, uh, what's the word, deny this so much so that we're not in tune with what's really happening. But like he's saying, it, it's not outside. It's what's coming inside. Whether you know it or not, it's, it's inside and it's just coming out. And Jesus takes this and he like expands this to much more than just food. This commentary is much more than just food. He like starts to list these sins, these 13 sins. And the reason why we use it for today is because he, he brings in the realm of sexuality into this. Out of the 13 sins, four of them, three of them are explicitly sexual and, and a couple of them are like a part of it. He says, you know what, like it's already inside of you. 
sexual brokenness, sin has touched our sexuality and how we think of this and how we relate and all of this, it's, it's already broken inside of you. And he brings in sexual morality. He lists that as one of the sins. And this is the Greek word that we looked at a few weeks ago called porneia, which has, it's like a prohibition on all sexual activity outside of a covenant of marriage that God says is good. It's like, oh, like that, like when you do that, when you're sleeping around, when you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend, when you're in a same-sex relationship, like, like all, it's in your heart. So the activity, the behavior, the pursuing of all of that, of like even prostitution, of pornography, of all these things, like it's in your heart and it's coming out. He lists adultery. Like, oh, like you don't stumble into an affair. You don't go to work one day and somebody kisses you, and then you just get lost in the moment and the passion. Like, if that happens, it's because it was already in your heart. It's because you had, like, oh, it was already there and undealt with. Coveting. Coveting is when you see something that is not yours and you crave it, you want it, it needs to be yours. Like coveting your neighbor's wife or other things. That's in scripture. It's like, oh, fuck. It's in your heart. Sensuality. Sensuality is when you don't live life by making the decisions that you want, but your senses make the decisions and you just give in to every appetite that you have. Sensuality, you give in to every sense that you desire. It's like, okay, like it's already in there. It's not outside. It's not floating around. Like, don't be deceived and don't blame other people. Don't look to other people to blame. And I'm not saying blame yourself, but I'm saying look inside. It's in there. It's just coming out. That sexual brokenness of every sort is found in our hearts, and our hearts are so deceptive. And I like at times, like it's so easy, it's so much easier to blame everyone else. But it's in us. It's already in there. And so, like, how do we do, and and how do we manage that? How do we live with that? Like, before we move on to the hope and the promise of redemption, like I, I want to just talk to us really quick about managing sin. In, in this topic, I, I just want to bring to us um, this article that I wrote, well, not this article, but this guy, he's a, his name is Jay Stringer. He's a Christian therapist, he's a pastor, he's a researcher, and he mainly studies sexuality and faith. He talks about uh, porn addiction, of sexual brokenness of scripture and all this, and he is helping to minister to the church around sexuality. And last year, when Ravi Zachariah, the news of his death and then everything about his secret life that came out afterwards. He wrote this great article, an article that I've really appreciated. And if you're not familiar with the story, Ravi Sakurai, he is a Christian and Missionary Alliance pastor, apologist. He was one of the most famous Christian speakers in the entire world. Like he's one of the widely known and regarded Christian apologists in like the last hundred years. And he was looked up to and he was admired, but this man lived a life in private that was not the life that he spoke of. He was a sexual predator. He was someone who took advantage of women and spent money to cover it up and threatened people, threatened suicide to keep people silent. He did not live the life in private that he talked about in public. Deep sexual brokenness. And when all this started to come out, this, this author, he, Jay Stringer, wrote this article about how when men like him, when like famous Christian pastors fall like that, he's like, it's just another sign of this sexual binge and purge cycle. 
And he talks about three ways in which we hide our sin. And your sin doesn't have to be as quote-unquote big as Ravi Zachariah or some of the Bill Hybels, some of these pastors that we know stories of who have fallen and it's covered in the media. It doesn't have to be that big for it to be relevant here. He talks about three ways in which we hide in our sin. And like I just, I, I wonder if any of us can relate to any of these. The first one is denial. And denial is everything that like you would think or you've seen on TV shows or heard of a therapist if you're in counseling or have been. Denial is when like there's like you're in this sin and you're sexually broken and you're pursuing relief or clarity or like you just want what you want you're you give you've given into sensuality and you're doing what you please and like you're just denying you you have this cycle of binging you go and you do you give in you have that you do that activity you have sex with your boyfriend or you're with your girlfriend you like have an affair or you do uh, any number of things sexually like that we have been talking about that is not good and everything else that is not healthy that like betrays trust and just is against what God says and you're doing it and then afterwards you just meet it with denial. You're like, no, I'm like, I don't have a problem. I could stop at any point. Oh, like there's not like no real problem here. It's just something that I do. We divorce what we do with our bodies and our souls. Like, and we just like, just are so lost or so hurting. We feel like it's our only relief and we're like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. And we hide and we never give ourselves time to really acknowledge the pain and the further wounding and the loneliness that it just makes us feel like that there's this like true like our souls tell us that when we do things that scripture tells us isn't like we're hurting ourselves but we never give ourselves the time to like acknowledge that or give that space Denial is a really powerful tool one that you can keep up for a very long time but it's also really ineffective because you're just always hiding and running from yourself. No, like, real peace. The second way that he writes is that we use projection at times. What projection is, is that we scapegoat other people. The blame for what we do is not in ourselves, but it's on someone else. It's on this group of other people or someone very specific. Scapegoating or projecting is when we find enemies outside of ourselves to blame. It's like, yeah, I did this, but if, if X didn't do this, then it would have been fine. Or if like, oh, if this circumstance wasn't this way, I wouldn't have done that, or I, w I would stop doing that. Like many people blame their spouses. Like, oh, if only they would sleep with me more, or give me what I want more, then I wouldn't have to do this. I'm protecting them from myself. The church and a lot of men in the church blame women. They're like every time, so the context of this Jay Stringer's article was that every time a male pastor falls of sexual sin, it costs women jobs in ministry because it's just easier to be like, oh, well, they opened the door and so let's not open it. Like, we're just going to hire men. We're just only going to have men work at this church and get rid of that problem. Like, yeah, sure, maybe women can't have position or, or a seat at the table. They can't talk. Like, or we'll only ever present, like, what comes to men. It's like damages the church. The church scapegoats women all the time as potential temptresses, and that's, like, not okay. We, the church scapegoats the LGBT community all the time. Like, in what world does it make sense that, like, 
oof, like the high divorce rates in the church are blamed on same-sex couples. Like we talked about same-sex relationships last time we talked, but it's like, oh, in what world does that make sense? The problem's not out there. We, the problem is in our hearts. It's in us. And then the last one that he writes about is he calls it the gospel purge. And in the gospel purge, it's really subtle and it's hard to speak against. And it's hard to really know if this is happening because this is what happens. Like someone's in their sin and they're doing their brokenness. They're like doing the things that they know they shouldn't be doing. They're convicted. But at the end of their activity, all that they ever focus on is like, oh, well, the gospel is for sinners. And that is very true. No one that will ever find the kingdom does not find, like everyone who finds the kingdom finds it because they are broken and know that they need help. But equally in the gospel, every time Jesus confronts someone with a reputation of sexuality or is like sexually broken, God meets them, he meets them exactly where they're at, but then he also at some point calls them out of sin. And so, yeah, the gospel is for sinners, but like it also is calling us to grow, to pursue the Lord, to find healing. And so what do we do? How do we actually find healing? What is it all about? Is it more than just like something that we say can happen? Let's talk about repentance. I want to read the words from another Christian counselor. I've been reading a lot of counselors, like what counselors have, Christian counselors have to say on the topic in this sermon series. And this one is written by someone named Harry Schomburg. He wrote this article. He's written a number of books on the topic of sexuality in the church, of sexual brokenness. This article came from a, a Christian platform that I really like. It's called Desiring God. His name is Harry Schomburg, and he writes this about repentance with sexual brokenness. He says, Jesus clearly states the core problem. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, adultery, sensuality. He's quoting Mark 7, verses 21 and 22. In other words, when it comes to sexual sin, Jesus says our core problem is not what has been done to us, but what resides in us. Here he's like, he's like, okay, it's like not external. It's not every, not that what happened to us isn't important, but the, like, it's not because everything outside comes and corrupts us. Our hearts are already broken and sin has already corrupted us and sin has already touched everything about what it means for us to be sexual beings. And because sin is so deceitful and our hearts are so deceitful, like, it, like we need to start with what's inside. We need to start with a process, a redemptive process of repentance. Like repentance is what opens the door for true healing. Repentance is the vehicle that we like use, like, oh my God, like, I'm just done. And I don't know what to do. And no matter how much effort I put into this, I cannot save myself. Let me read two definitions on repentance, two that I like, and breathe some humanity into them. Repentance is this, it's the act of leaving what God has prohibited and returning to what he has commanded. I, I like parts of that. Like, the image of repentance is you're walking down this road towards what God has prohibited. And like you realize that the Holy Spirit's job is to show us that like we need to repent. It's to convict the world of sin. And then when you do, and when that's genuine, and when you're like really done, you turn. Repentance is this way of saying you turn. I'm walking down this way, and I realize that it's 
towards something that God told me not to, and I turn and go in the other direction towards what he has commanded. And I like that as a starting point. Repentance is this, I'm going this way, but it's not good, and I need to turn away. And then our second definition comes in. It's this, this radical turning away from anything which hinders one's wholehearted devotion to God and the corresponding turning to God in love and obedience. It's this radical turning away from anything that hinders our wholehearted obedience to God. And it's not just service. It's not just, oh, because Scripture tells me to. No, it's like soaked and found in love and obedience to God. It's just this love and obedience. I'm like this, God, I am, like, I'm just done. And I realize that this isn't good for me. And in my brokenness, I've like tried, my old pastor used to say that sin is getting legitimate needs met in illegitimate ways. It's like, I, like I've tried it this way for so long and I'm still heavy and I'm hurting and it's only making things worse. And now like, okay, I'm like done with this and I want to turn and I want to come to you because I love you and I want to be obedient to you. And because you promise to like change and give me relief, repentance, it opens this door for like true change to come into my whole being. Schomburg, our counselor, he, he writes this. He says, repentance is a death. When a sexual sinner repents, self dies and God reigns. It is far more than merely giving up one's sexual sin, but surrendering one's whole life. True repentance bears fruit, which goes beyond sobriety. It begins a change from the inside out. There is not only change in behavior, but everything begins to shift at all levels of one's being. And I love that. I think that's perfectly said. It's like repentance is a death. Like, I, like I'm done with this. This is a part of me. This is inside of me. I'm not going to blame anyone else. I'm not looking at anyone else. This is like comes out of my heart, and I know that. That I want you to put that part of me to death. Like, I want to be done. He says here that it's, it's, it bears more fruit than just sobriety. And like, I'll be really honest that in my life I have struggled with pornography. I like, it came to me at an early age and it found this like really ripe place in my heart and it like dug its roots into me because, and I just was so drawn to it. I was so captivated by it. It like met so many like, of like interesting needs. But like in the seasons where I like was able to at least control myself, I was able to like at least not like watch pornography anymore. Like I still knew that it was in my heart. It's like sobriety isn't enough because it was like still in my heart. Yeah, I could control my actions. I can control what I looked on that line. But like I knew it was still in my heart and I knew it still weighed me down. And I knew that at, at any moment I could like be brought brought back again. I was like, Lord, I want to be done with this. I need this to be dead in my life. I need this to be dead in my soul. I need to be changed from the inside out. I need your redemption to come and shape me like all the way through. I need you like, Lord, I know that you're not an eraser, but you're a redeemer. And I need you to redeem this part of my life that is, I, I can't, con like, I feel like I can't control it at times. And it's just so ripe in me. Oh God, I need your transformation. I need to be a new being, which you promise. I need a new heart, which you promise. Like, come and change me. And so let's conclude this a little bit. 
to conclude our, our this sermon and our whole sermon series, like I, I just have been so captured by like we need to do this in repentance. Like oh God, like I need to come to you and ask for you to like make me whole. I need to have this way to open up this door for your presence to come minister to me and like actually change me and not just keep me uh, myself on these cycles of being trapped. I need you to come and change me. God is a redeemer and not an eraser. Like God, I need you to really redeem me and bring me real freedom because I'm tired. I'm tired and I'm really tired. And to close us, I want to remind us of a story that we already covered in John chapter 4 when Jesus had the audacity to meet a Samaritan woman, a woman with a reputation alone at a well, where he had the audacity to meet a Samaritan woman alone at the well and minister to her exactly where she was and know that she was broken, know that she lived in sin, and you offered her living water anyway. Like, I love that story, and that story has captured my imagination this whole sermon series because he knew exactly where she was, and he offered her living water, and when she brought up her sexual sin, like, she remember, she was there at noon. She had been rejected by people. She had this reputation, and Jesus still offers her water, and she's like, man, like, I'm a, who are you? I'm a Samaritan, and you're a Jew, and she has all these excuses, and then at the end, Jesus is like, bring your husband to me, because he knows what's going on in her story, like, he divinely knows her in that moment, and, like, the truth comes out, it's like, actually, he's, like, not my husband, and I've had five husbands, and she, he, he, the one I'm with now isn't my husband, and, like, Jesus says, like, he knew, and out of that exchange with this woman, she leaves, saying this, John chapter 4, 29. She goes back to town, telling everyone that would listen to her. She says, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And I just love that. I love that exchange. That what used to be her shame turned into her calling. She was the first Samaritan woman evangelist. And it says many people came to believe in Jesus because this woman's shame turned into her cry come and meet the one who told me everything that I ever did. All, everything that you people know that I've done brought people to the cross. I was like, Lord, like, I need that. You're not an eraser. You're a redeemer. Like, God, come and redeem everything that brings me shame. Come and redeem my sexual brokenness. Like, come and redeem every area that I'm trapped and like, I can't help myself. I feel like I can't help myself. Lord, I need your redemption in my life. I need your healing. And so online, to do this here online, like, it's an invitation to consider, are you trapped in any of these cycles? Have you not brought to Jesus your hurt, your wounding, your pain? Or maybe you have, and like you're on this journey, and you continue to be on this journey, and it's like taking longer than you ever thought it would or that you want it to. But like, I'm here to say, like, continue. Repent. Say, like, Lord, I, I want to be done with this. Like, I, I even know that part of my heart still wants this, but I want to want to be done with this. So help me. Meet me. Bring me healing. And begin this part of your life with Jesus where you are repenting and saying, Lord, come and meet me. I need you to come and heal me. I need this to be done. 
I need to stop walking in this direction and you like I need your help to come here because true repentance acknowledges like I Lord I can't do this but you can because you're my redeemer and you're my healer and so church I have loved going on this journey looking into sexuality with all of us it's a big intimate sensitive topic it's intimate it's like really deep down a part of who we are and God made it to be this way and he made it to be that important. And so it has been a, a pleasure to keep on walking down this road and our church, like we might be done with this sermon series now, but this will continue to be a safe place for us to talk about sexuality and be open and honest with us in all the appropriate ways. So like have our men's and women's ministries continue to be safe places to have these discussions and to us for challenging to have real relationships with one another to know and be known by us because that is how God has made us to be. And that's what God called good. And so church, I love you. It has been my pleasure. Let's continue to walk at, towards Jesus together as we look for him in all areas of our beings and in our lives. And uh, let me pray for us real quick. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the work you've been doing throughout this whole sermon series. I pray that it has been honoring and loving towards you and what you've taught us. Help us, shape us into the sexual beings that you desire us to be. We love you, and that's what we want, to honor you in all that we do, to point the world back to you in everything that we do and who we are. And so let our sexuality be redeemed by you, Lord. Please bring healing, deep healing into it for every single one of us as we come to you in repentance and ask you to put parts of us to death. We love you, Lord. Bring us to life. I, and I ask all this for, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. So if you have any questions, if you want to reach out, email us at info at and we'll reach out to you and we'll see you soon.